So there's a story I love about um, Sherlock Holmes and Watson. They're out camping one night, and uh, um, after uh, after they've had a, a long night of conversation, um, they uh, they retire to their sleeping bags and go to sleep. And in the middle of the night, uh, Sherlock Holmes wakes Watson up, and Sherlock Holmes says to Watson. Look at the sky. Tell me what you see. And uh, Watson looks up and he says, Why, I, I see a million stars. And Sherlock Holmes says to Watson, What does that tell you? And Watson thinks for a second. He says, Well, astronomically, it tells me there are billions of stars and billions of planets. Astrologically, I observe that Saturn is in Leo. Horologically, I observe that the time is quarter past three. Theologically, I can see that God is all-powerful and that we are small and insignificant. Meteorologically, I observe that we'll have good weather tomorrow. And Sherlock Holmes says, what does that tell you? And uh, Watson uh, thought for a second, and then Sherlock Holmes answered his own question. Watson, you idiot, someone has stolen our tent. <laughs> See, we have a tendency to make things more complicated than they ought to be, especially in church. Sometimes we talk about very heady topics and uh, use a lot of esoteric jargon that people outside of the church don't quite understand. And sometimes we just make it all just a little too complicated. Karl Barth once said that the word became flesh and then through theologians it became words again. There's some wisdom to that. Sometimes we take the wonder and the mystery of God and we use all these big fancy words and we make it all so complicated. So for the next uh, three weeks we're going to be talking about grace. We're going to be talking specifically about um, uh, the Wesleyan view of grace. And we're going to use words like prevenient and justifying and sanctifying. And it's my hope and prayer that I don't make it too complicated. That I don't get in the way of the wonder and the mystery of God's grace with a bunch of big fancy theological arguments. So I'm going to skip all the stuff about John Calvin and Joseph Arminius. If you're curious about it, ask me. I doubt anyone will. Um, but I just want us to understand what it is God has done for us. And I'm just going to hand it to you the way it's been handed to me. And I just believe that um, as we explore this together, together we will stand amazed hear now the word of our Lord um, our scripture reading this morning comes from Roman the fifth chapter um, verses one through eight therefore since we have been justified through faith we have peace with God through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God not only so but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. 
Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we are still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the word of God. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. G.K. Chesterton once wrote that sin is the one Christian doctrine of which men need no convincing. We get it instinctively. We know from a very early age that we are sinners. We understand that the good we want to do, we somehow keep ourselves from doing. And the bad that we don't want to do, we somehow can't help ourselves from doing. We get it very early on. We're sinners. I can remember, I can remember the day that I realized that I was a sinner. I was, uh, I was six years old, seven years old. I was seven years old, and uh, my dad uh, was a pastor at his first church, um, uh, Centerville uh, United Methodist Church um, in northern Kentucky. And, uh, and it, was a very, it was a very small church, but to a seven-year-old, it seemed huge and cavernous. And, uh, and I just remember um, uh, when my dad was working on his sermon in his office, my brother and I would have the run of the place. And we'd just be, uh, we'd be crawling under the pews, we'd be uh, running through the halls, we'd be playing hide-and-seek. And, seek. and there, uh, we were allowed everywhere, but there was this one door that always stayed locked. I'm sure it was the Kiskogian's closet, uh, but in my mind, that was like God's bedroom. And uh, if I had the key, right, I, I'd be able to unlock it and God would be in there and his white beard and probably boxers watching TV. <laughs> He's usually taking a nap because we always had to be quiet in church. Maybe so we couldn't wake up God. I think uh, Methodists are famous for not, not wanting to wake up God. Um, one day my brother and I uh, were, were playing hide and seek. Uh, we were rummaging through the church and we found in one of the rooms this big cardboard briefcase. And when we opened up the cardboard briefcase, there were all of these king-size bags of M&Ms. And I knew exactly who those M&Ms belonged to. See, there was, this, uh, there was this old lady in our church. Her name was Mrs. Juanita. And Mrs. Juanita was one of those ladies in the church that, like, quietly behind the scenes gets everything done, right? And Mrs. Juanita... Uh, had these uh, cardboard, this cardboard box full of king-size M&Ms that she would sell and give the money for the ch- to the church. It was one of her fundraisers. And I knew this was Mrs. Wangiga's stash of king-size M&Ms. But I didn't care, right? <laughs> and I opened up this cardboard briefcase and it was like, whoa, all these M&Ms. And, uh, and just like Eve in the garden, I... Uh, 
I got my little brother Scotty to eat the M&Ms with me. So now he was colluding with me. And, uh, and so we, we, we sat there and we ate these king-sized M&Ms. We went through bags. We were just having a good old time. There was chocolate all over our faces. It was the best day of our lives until Dad shows up. Right? Dad shows up. Just like in the garden. Ruins the fun. We hear the footsteps. We try to hide. We can't. Right? We're there with the M&Ms. We're caught in our sin. And as bad as that was, as bad as Dad showing up is, it's even worse when you get home and you have to explain your actions to Mom. Right? That is Judgment Day right there. Okay? So we had to explain our actions to Mom, and Mom laid it on thick. She is good at guilt. Um, and, uh, and she said, you know, those M&Ms... Those are to raise money for God's house. Those are God's M&Ms. You stole those M&Ms from the Lord Almighty. Right? And so we're just like, you know, sitting there crying because of our sins. Right? And, uh, and mom goes, all right, later today we are going to get in the car and we are going to go see Mrs. Juanita and you are going to beg for her forgiveness. Right? And she said, you will be lucky. If she doesn't press charges and have you thrown in prison, right? And, and we're sitting there, you know, just taking this all in and just getting all worked up. And, uh, and says, and you're going to offer uh, to work for her until you can work off the cost of those M&Ms. Can you imagine? Like just a, a seven-year-old boy just realizing, just realizing the depth of your own depravity. Just what a terrible, wagged up piece of chewing gum excuse for a human being you are, right? And that is what was going on inside of me. I learned all about sin that day. You see, all of us, we've got this problem. It's like Aaron Miller likes to say, we're born shaking our fists at God. Our situation is hopeless. Earlier in the book of Romans... Uh, the third chapter, the 23rd verse, Paul says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Later he says, The good I want to do, I do not do. But the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. In the book of James, James makes it even worse for us. He says, Whoever knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. See, we make it all about not touching the bad stuff, but there's this whole other dimension to our life where we're supposed to be out there doing good, and every time we let the pitch go by, we're singing. Our situation is hopeless. We find ourselves lost and blind, and we can't possibly make our own way home. But hear the good news. Paul says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, before we even knew 
who God was. Before we even knew what a Jesus was, Christ died for us. This is, this is what we mean when we talk about provenient grace. We're talking about how, how God's grace finds us in our lostness and lifts us up to the point where we can freely decide. Provenient grace is that grace that goes before us and prepares the way in advance. You see, John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is proactive grace. This isn't God singing around and waiting for us to say we're sorry. He loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. And then it is up to you and I to decide how we respond to that. The first action has already been made. We see in Jesus' parable of the sower that the, the, the sower doesn't just go to the places where he thinks the seed will grow the best and plant there. That's what good sowers do, but not this one. This one scatters the seed every which way into every plot of land, whether it's, whether it's rocky or whether it's good soil, because that's how God lavishes his grace on everyone indiscriminately. This is provenient grace, the grace that goes before us and prepares us and leads the way to the moment of decision. One of Jesus' most powerful parables is the prodigal son. And yet the younger son demands his share of the inheritance. And he goes and he, he spends it on wild and reckless living. And he runs out of money. And, uh, and he's, working, um, he, he's, he's working feeding pigs. And he's sleeping where the pigs sleep. And the Bible says he came to his senses. And he thought to himself, you know, even my father's hired hands live better than this. I'll just go back to my dad, hat in hand, and I'll beg him to take me on as one of his hired hands. Maybe I'm not fit to be his son anymore, but maybe I can be one of his hired hands. And so he goes back. And the Bible tells us that he's sitting there, he's, he's, he's rehearsing his speech. Father, I know I've sinned against you and against God, but please take me as one of your hired hands. He's sitting there, he's rehearsing this speech. And here's the way the Gospel of Luke puts it. While he was yet a long way off, his father came running. While he was yet a long way off, his father came running. You see, that's provenient grace. While we were yet a long way off, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us at just the right time. It's provenient grace. Um, so the time came to pay the piper. My brother and I, um, we were herded up into our uh, into a family's little maroon Nissan stanza, and we drive up the, ro the road to Miss Juanita's house. 
And I got to tell you, I was really frightened because Miss Swangiga was like a little old lady and she kind of reminded me of the witch from Snow White. I know, I know in my head she was probably a lovely lady, but, but you know, I was seven years old. So I was really frightened and, uh, and my mom marches up to the front door, knocks it, and uh, Miss Wangiga answers the door. Yes. Right. And, uh, and my, my mom says, my boys have something to say to you. And, you know, so I'm the oldest. I get pushed up to the front. And I have to face Miss Wangiga. I had this whole speech prepared. Miss Wangiga, my brother Scotty found these M&Ms <laughs> and uh, convinced me to eat them. Um, I really didn't want to, but I did it anyway, and I know that was sinful, and that, um, and the, the, you know, they belong to the church, and to God, and, and to you, and I'm really sorry, and please don't put me in jail, and please just uh, let me uh, work off uh, this debt for as long as it takes, right? I had this whole thing I was going to go through. But as soon as I said M&M's, Miss Wangiga interrupted me. She said, you like M&M's? I like M&M's too. Come inside. And so she had me and my brother come inside, and, and my mom came inside, and uh, she pulled out her, uh, her briefcase full of M&M's, and she gave us each a king-sized bag of M&M's. And we were looking over at mom. Is it okay to eat these M&M's? Mom told us to go ahead. So we're sitting there eating M&M's, and Miss Wangiga was asking us about all the things that little old ladies ask kids about, like, you know, how's school, what do you want to be when you grow up, and we're sitting there eating this M&M, just having a good old time. And, uh, and then when we got done and we left Miss Wangiga's house, she sent us all away with the king-size bag of M&M's. I think if you asked my mom, she would say, we learned the wrong lesson that day. And we probably did. But see, on the same day I learned about sin, I also learned about grace. You see, at just the right time, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Justice is getting exactly what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Grace is free M&M's. You see, we deserve guilt, but we get freedom. We deserve judgment, but we get compassion. We deserve to be at war with God but we get this peace, the passive understanding. We deserve to have the book thrown at us, but we, we get mercy and compassion. We deserve sorrow, but we get joy. We deserve death, but we get eternity. We deserve hell, but we get heaven. We deserve yard work, but we get free M&Ms. Sweet, sweet M&Ms. At just the right time, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is how he demonstrates his love. This provenient grace, this grace that goes before us and prepares the way. At just the right time. You know, um, young couples, 
newly married. Uh, I get to know them, and uh, and something they always say uh, is that um, they they want to have kids so they have more love in the house, like just want more love in the house so let's have kids. And I always think, oh that's so cute. <laughs> Giga dog. <laughs> um, uh, kids don't necessarily mean more love right away. <laughs> the, 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 the thing that, that you bring home from the hospital just needs, 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 needs. It doesn't know how to give yet. Um, and as they get older, it doesn't necessarily get better right away. Uh, I think you all know um, by now uh, my family, William, um, uh, our seven-year-old, he's, uh, he's wired just a little bit differently just very particular about things. He has trouble switching gears. Um, and he really annoys me sometimes. I mean, really. Uh, a, a couple of years ago, when he was in that phase where we had to go through like several rounds of things before we could finally get him to sleep at night, like the, the daddy-daddy phase, you know, you, you get him, you do a story, and then you go back and bag and be daddy-daddy-daddy, uh, I need water. Daddy, 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 I need this, right? We were in that phase. And I remember going into his room saying, Daddy, 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 I need my Lightning McQueen. Now, what you have to understand is that we have at least 100 Lightning McQueens in that room, and they're all on the floor, right? And we've got plush Lightning McQueens. We've got uh, little Lightning McQueens. We've got rubber Lightning McQueens for the bathtub. We've got remote control Lightning McQueen. We've got all the little matchbox car Lightning McQueens. And so I say to him, which Lightning McQueen? And he looks at me. He has the audacity, the little punk, to say, the red one. All right? So that, that's what I'm dealing with here. Last year, he gets off the bus and just like preemptively, before I could say anything, he just looks at me and says, Daddy, I did not make good choices today. Right? Just like, just like clearing the air, just letting me, go, letting me know. And usually, like, the teachers will write a little note and, like, a smiley face sticker or a, you know, not a smiley face sticker, but just write a little note. Well, I, I pull out the little note, and this thing was, like, front and back. Uh, there was an extra sheet of paper. There was, like, like, uh, like notes in the margin, footnotes, right? Uh, he did not make good choices that day. And I remember going, you know, going home, having the stern conversation about how we're going to make better choices tomorrow. We're going to respect our teachers, all the stuff that, that daddies are supposed to say. I remember later walking by um, his room and him being crumpled up in his mother's arms and saying, Daddy hates me. Daddy hates me. He's going to be angry at me forever. Every night before he goes to bed, I kiss him on the forehead and say, I love you, buddy. Every night. I've given him no reason to feel that I hate him. Still, he thinks because he made some bad choices, I hate him. That I'm going to be angry with him forever. He doesn't know. He doesn't know how precious he is. To me 
He doesn't know that, that if I had to choose between my life and his, I'd choose, choose his life every day of the week and twice on Sunday. He doesn't know that. He doesn't know about, about how long we waited for a little boy. He doesn't know about um, the little boy that died six months into the pregnancy that we had to, to deliver stillborn and, and, and bury. He doesn't know any of that. He doesn't know how precious, how loved he is. Someday he will. Someday he will. But right now, he doesn't get it. You see, we, you and I, are sinners in the hands of a loving God. A God that just wants us to know how precious we are. That wants us to stop making bad choices and just be his. You don't know. But someday you will. And in the meantime... He's going to keep giving you those free M&Ms. Isn't that amazing? In the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.